Chapter 5 A Priest on Horseback Father Farmer, 1720-1786 By Eva K. Betts This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese Chapter 5 Someone is in trouble Father Farmer stayed overnight at Cohansey Bridge. Two young couples who had exchanged marriage vows in front of witnesses came in to have the marriages blessed. One old woman, who was so ill that she did not expect to live till the priest came again, was given all the help possible. A baby was baptized. And then the priest was on the road again, following the old trails to Woodbury and Gloucester and Burlington, then on to Princeton, Hillsborough, Boundbrook. Sometimes he found shelter with well-disposed people. Sometimes he spent the night in the open under a tree. After Boundbrook, the trails began zigzagging across the colony. He could no longer go north, but must go east to Springfield and Elizabethtown before he could go north again into the hills where the iron mines were. In a pleasant valley near the settlement at Morristown, he came to a home where he planned to stop for the night and where he would say mass the following morning. Mass here would have to be more or less secret, for his host, Mr. She, was surrounded by neighbors who disliked Catholics, and combined that dislike with a real fear of Jesuits. Since Mr. She had not yet been allowed to buy the land on which he lived, but only to rent it, Father Farmer was unwilling to do anything which might turn his neighbors against him. As he turned up the lane which led to the house, he was startled by a great thumping boom, a noise which sounded almost like the firing of a cannon. For an instant he was confused, but quickly realized that Mrs. She, or one of the indentured men, was pounding corn. The Shees, unlike many of the colonists, treated their indentured servants well. Some of the colonists owned slaves, and they were, on the whole, treated well, for they had been purchased as goods, and would remain with their owners for life. But indentured people would be free in a few years, and in all too many cases they were worked to the limit of their strength, and beyond so that every penny paid for them was returned twice over. At Mr. She's, however, slaves, indentured servants, and family all worked equally hard, all had time to play and to rest, so the corn pounding might be the work of any of the people in the household. The priest rode around to the back of the house. At some distance from the door was the stump of a tree about three feet tall. Its center was hollowed out and smooth. Nearby was a sapling, to the top of which a rope was attached, holding a large, smooth stone at its free end. This was the pestle. The hollow tree trunk was the mortar, in which corn was being pounded into meal. The spring of the tree lifted the heavy stone. The weight of the stone itself helped Mrs. She bring it down on the corn. "'Good day,' called Father Farmer. "'Good day, Mr. Farmer.' The priest realized that someone was around on whose understanding or friendliness Mrs. She could not depend. We are having a log rolling today, and our neighbors have come to help, Mrs. She explained. Perhaps I could help, too, suggested Father Farmer. Another pair of hands is always useful. A small boy had appeared from the barn, and Father Farmer, after removing the roll containing his vestments and mask kit, turned over the reins of his horse. He carried the roll into the house. Then, following Mrs. She's directions, he walked across a cleared field and toward the woods which bordered it. As he neared the place, he could hear the ring of axes and the sound of voices among the trees. He saw that one of the tall trees near him was undercut, so he hastily veered to one side before walking any further into the grove. 
A dozen or more large trees had been chopped part way through. They stood along a rough lane which led from the field to an open space in the woods. This chopping or undercutting was done on the side of the tree away from the field. A group of men stood looking up at the oldest and biggest tree, and seemed to be trying to decide which way it would fall. It will go directly into those two trees there, as it comes down, and they will take the rest of the row down, said one man. If we can start the fall right, it will, agreed another, but I'd like to see a deeper cut made. We don't need a deeper cut here, but some cutting on the far side would help. Each of the men had his own idea about how the giant should be brought down, tumbling the rope one against the other before it. A strong rope well above the cut. We'll do no pulling, please, gentlemen. Mr. She's voice was one of authority. Too often people are maimed or killed when that is tried. Mr. She noticed Father Farmer for the first time. Mr. Farmer, have you any suggestions? It seemed to me that there was sense in the suggestion that a cut be made on the other side of the tree said the priest. I know how to chop, but I don't know much about trees. So I'll make the cut if you'd like, and you gentlemen keep your eyes on the tree and let me know when I must stop. There was a little more discussion, but finally the plan was adopted. The decision was hastened by a small breeze which came through the woods. A wind could throw the tree in the wrong direction and undo all the careful planning. Father Farmer took the axe which Mr. She handed him and moved around to the far side of the tree. He eyed the trunk for a moment, gauging the distance from the ground that his cut should be. Then he swung, and chips flew. The men on the other side watched the top branches for the tell-tale shiver, which would indicate the tree's fall. But though all were concentrated on the tree, its fall was sudden and unexpected. One moment it seemed as steady as it had ever been. The next it was leaning, falling. Run! The urgent warning came in one voice from half a dozen throats. Father Farmer ran. But the tree which had stood for sixty years crashed down so fast that the long branches caught his coat, and for a moment it seemed as if he would be pulled into the wreckage. But the cloth gave, and he was free. The great tree fell on the two trees in front of it, toppling them forward. They, in turn, carried two more of the undercut trees, and those two more. The air was filled with flying fragments, twigs and bark, and the dust of powdered leaves. Birds flew about in panic as the rumbling roar reached distant farms, dogs barked madly, warning their owners of some fearful, noisy danger. The little knot of men stood silent until the bedlam quieted a little. Half the lane is cleared, said Mr. She, but none of the others answered. They were looking curiously, then suspiciously, at a small book which had fallen from Father Farmer's pocket as he leaped to safety. It was his breviary. The men eyed him very gravely. Thank you all, Mr. She seemed unaware of the feeling of tension in the air. And I thank you, said Father Farmer, calmly reaching out to receive the small book. I would not want to lose this. You gentlemen will stop at the house for cider? asked Mr. She. I will lop the branches and have a log rolling tomorrow. Thank you, but I had best be getting home, said an older man. It looks as if a storm might be coming. The others murmured agreement, and before long they had all departed. Mr. She, I am terribly sorry, burst out Father Farmer as the last man left. That was careless of me. You couldn't help it, said Mr. She, and anyhow, I don't know that it matters much. Sooner or later, some way or other, it would have come out that I am a Catholic. If, that being so, they do not want me for a neighbor, 
It is better for me to learn it now than after I have cleared and improved more of the land. The two men moved toward the house. And, Father Farmer, I think they will decide to overlook that fault in my character, he said cheerfully. So? Even now an indentured man is on his way to see me. He was a schoolmaster in Ireland, and I want him to teach my boys to read and write and figure. And? And the other men are ambitious for their sons, too. There has never been a schoolmaster in these parts, so I may be able to trade learning for their children in exchange for security for myself. Father Farmer laughed, then sighed deeply. What a pity that a man cannot be accepted for what he is, that the suspicion and priest-hunting of the old world must go on here. It will pass, said Mr. She. The kitchen was an arena when they reached it, the scene of all the many violent physical efforts needed in preparing a meal. Great loaves of bread made from dried pumpkin meal and corn were being taken from the oven on a broad paddle which weighed almost as much as the woman who managed it. Raw potatoes, still eyed with suspicion by many of the colonists, were being pounded into a gummy mass, mixed with apples in a great iron pot, and moved to the fire where they would simmer into a gluey jelly. But the center of attention was John Shee, the eldest son, who was busy in the corner chopping some beef, which had been in brine since slaughtering time last November. A large hunk of the beef was in an iron pot, and as John minced it by pounding with the sharpened edge of a shovel, the clang and bang added to the clamor in fine style. Father Farmer leaped with the grace of a dancer as Mrs. She swung around with a steaming loaf of bread. "'We will go to the other room,' said Mr. She, putting his mouth close to the priest's ear, in order to be heard. The She house was a comfortable one of three rooms, with an attic overhead. There, corn and peppers and apples and pumpkins were hung to dry in the fall, giving out their aromas to the boys who slept there during the winter. In warmer weather both the boys and the indentured men, who used one of the downstairs rooms when it was cold, preferred sleeping in the barn or the fields. The room into which the men went was usually reserved as sleeping quarters for Mr. and Mrs. She. But now the priest's saddle roll was on the bed, and a long piece of snowy linen had been spread on the bureau in preparation for its use as an altar next day. "'Father Farmer, is there talk in Philadelphia of the colonies breaking free of England?' asked Mr. She. There seems to be an uneasiness in Philadelphia, and in Boston, and New York, a dissatisfaction in many parts of the colonies, but there are no definite plans, as far as I know. The people are not strong enough yet to take action, but England will have to mend her ways, or there will be trouble, I think. What is the sentiment around here? These people all love England, and do business with her. I think a move toward liberty would get little support from them. What is your own feeling in the matter? Mr. She considered for a moment. I don't want war, certainly, yet liberty is sweet. I think that we could select a ruler from among our own people. What should his racial background be? Irish. Would English colonists agree to that? I suppose not. French? They think so differently from the rest of us. Swedish, perhaps. I don't think the Germans would approve. It will not be easy, I see, but it can be done when the time comes. Three she-boys and their parents, the two indentured men, and Father Farmer, sat down to a bountiful meal. In contrast to most of the homes he visited, the mother here dined with the rest of them, getting up only when a plate needed replenishing. When the meal had been cleared away, the boys took out a checkerboard and challenged their father. The board was the plank marked off into squares. 
alternate squares had been tried with the hot poker. The men were kernels of corn, red kernels being substituted for yellow ones when they reached the king row. Advice was showered on both players during the game. When John beat his father, he said it was in spite of the help he had received, though his father insisted he had lost because of it. "'Will you say the rosary, father?' asked Mrs. She, when the game was done. "'Gladly,' said Father Farmer, pulling his beads from his pocket. Mrs. She put out the candles before they all knelt in the firelit kitchen. She was unaware that many of the neighbors already knew or suspected Father Farmer's identity, although, since the breviary was printed in Latin, it was possible that the men who had seen it were not certain what it was. The priest made the sign of the cross. The others followed. "'I believe in God,' Father Farmer began." There was a heavy knock, quietly repeated at the door. "'Who can it be this time of night?' said Mrs. She, getting up from her knees. "'Someone is in trouble outside.' "'Or inside,' said Father Farmer under his breath. End of Chapter 5 Recording by Maria Therese